The first Republican presidential debate is in the books. So did it matter? What mattered? And who actually won some ground with critical swing voters? I'm Matt Robeson. It's the Beyond Politics podcast, and we're putting up clips and visuals, which you will want to see from this show on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube. So everything you need to know about this debate, uh, we have two expert pollsters who are live testing it, and we are really thrilled to have them both with us to walk us through it. Margie Omero is a principal at the Democratic polling firm GBAO, which also specializes in tongue twisters. She's worked for a lot of names that you know, including Senator John Fetterman and the DSC, that's the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, because we really love acronyms on our side of the aisle, and helping to re-elect Senators Patty Murray and Michael Bennett. Ian Smith is the Director of Polling and Analytics for Navigator Research, where, in addition to his work, On National Navigator Surveys, he leads the Navigating the Battleground Survey Project. He was previously, he's a a Senator Cory Booker for President alum and the Director of Polling Analytics at American Bridge 21st Century. Marjorie and Ian, welcome to Beyond Politics. Thank you for having us. I really appreciate the early morning. You guys were up late crunching the numbers. Let's Let's just get the setup here for everyone who's listening. And again, I urge people who are listening, this is one where you're probably going to want to pop over to YouTube for the video version because we've got a lot of really interesting visuals here. I think most people are familiar with dial testing, but could you just walk us through what are people going to see when they see like the yellow line and the gray line and the green line on the screen? Thanks for having us, and thanks to Ian and everybody else at Navigator for letting us do one of these dial tests. Again, we've done them now for the last two State of the Unions, and I've been doing I've been doing this for about 25 years. So when we first started doing dial groups, or earlier in my career, they were in DOS, and you would just get kicked out of DOS randomly, and sometimes you had to hardwire everything. So things have progressed substantially since then. But people have a dial, and they're watching the debate in real time. And they're told as a candidate is speaking, not the commercials, not the moderators, dial how you feel toward the candidate that is speaking, dial toward 100 if you feel positive toward that person, dial toward zero if you feel negative, and you can use any number in between. And so you'd see people, you'd see the line showing like an EKG graph where people are. And we also broke out so you could see when you look at the images online, men versus women. These were all undecided in the general election voters. They were in suburban Milwaukee. We're still in Milwaukee now. And these were people who are in the swing battleground state where the debate was taking place. And we asked people who were undecided in the general. So they weren't necessarily Republican primary voters. Some of them were moderates, independents, and all over. And you saw people respond positively to some and respond pretty negatively to other Mm. comments. Like they were really evaluating the comments as they were happening. And then we also asked, we're going to talk about this too, pre and post questions. So we would ask people before the debate happened as they were sitting in, sitting down, how do you feel about the Republican field, favorability toward different candidates. And then after the debate was over, we asked them a variety of post-debate questions. So to see how there was movement or just questions you couldn't ask before, who won and who do you like the most? Who do you think is going to fight for people like you? And then we had finally, which I know we're going to talk about, an open-end question where people can write uh, their final question for the candidates. And that was also pretty fun. So that's the setup of what we did. Yeah, the open-enders are really revealing. So hang on and listen to some of these. We'll do those toward the end. One thing that jumped out to me is that you chose to dial test independents and independent leaning voters, not Republican primary voters, even though we're watching a Republican primary debate. Why did you make that choice? What what did you hope to learn by focusing on independents? 
I think we do a lot of message testing and talk a lot about what Republicans are saying, what Democrats are saying, putting it in a box, testing it against each other and seeing what comes out on the other side on paper. But I think with the Republican primary funded as an opportunity to actually have these independent general election voters hear for themselves what Republicans are saying, putting up there as their platform in the most raw form without us distilling it into this clean 50 word message. And that exercise is valuable in the Republican primary. The debate gives us an opportunity to do exactly that. In Republicans' own words, what are you hearing? One distinction that we can draw as we have this conversation, and we'll get to the insights that you guys delivered last night in a moment, but one distinction that's important for people to bear in mind is what you're looking at here is the reaction of independence voters. So this might be relevant in a Republican primary in places like New Hampshire, where independents are going to be able to vote in that primary. And there are other states where that is true. But what you're also, I'm assuming, measuring to some degree here is how are the things that the Republican candidates are saying, how are they landing with general election voters, with the voters who are going to decide ultimate presidential race, you're in Wisconsin, you're in a quintessential swing state, you're talking to quintessential swing voters. So we should probably be keeping an eye on, hey, there may be some things that like the Republican Fox News crowd was eating up or booing last night. That's not how like actual voting independent voters are receiving things. Right. The the live audience was different than the dial audience. The live audience, they were booing Chris Christie just out of the gate. They responded to some of the things that candidates would say about Trump in a way that was different than what folks said in our dials. Our dialers, and I know we're going to talk about this, have very strong views about what the candidates said about abortion, for example, or about it, teachers' unions, very much at odds with what the live audience at the debate w- was saying. And I think that's important because obviously there's a Republican primary and somebody needs to win that election and win those contests, but this is about the general election. And I don't think it does our collective collective political dialogue as good service for us to over-represent and over-index our discussion around the Republican primary electorate. It is often driving our national debate when really ultimately this is about a general election. General election voters disagreed with a lot of the things that the Republican candidates were saying. And let me just hit you with one more. There was a notable decision. There was the elephant, as Brett Baer said, that was not in the room. And that was Donald Trump. He wasn't on the stage. And he also had some counter-programming with Tucker Carlson. There's a meeting of the minds. To one thing that I've been pushing, I just have an article right now up on Newsweek where I'm arguing, hey, there's still an opportunity for the Republican Party to turn away from Donald Trump. New York Times Siena College polling shows that about 37% of the Republican primary electorate is open to someone other than Trump. 25% are at least telling pollsters, hey, we are dead set against him. So 62% of the Republican electorate has at least partial openness to opposing Donald Trump. Donald Trump goes and counter-programs this debate. And so presumably he's taking some of his core MAGA audience with him. Was he doing these candidates a favor last night by essentially saying, all right, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach. The rest of you who are actually the people considering voting for someone else, you hang out over here on Fox News and pick your flavor. Is that Was that a thing or were the candidates not really 
breaking through with the audience they needed. I think it was a thing, especially for the candidates like Nikki Haley or Tim Scott, who had a little bit more air in the room, albeit less airtime, the attempted disruptors like Vivek. But I think with Trump gone, the DeSantis's of the world, the Nikki Haley's of the world had so much more time and airspace to speak and get their message out specifically for these independent voters who I think they're actually targeting. It's almost Nikki Haley and Tim Scott had more of a general election message last night that you could see in the crowd did not land as well with that more base core Republican audience. But in our dial tests actually did decently. Do I think it helped among our audience, at least the DeSantis's of the world or the Pence's of the world? No, I think that the alignment with Trump for those folks with these undecided voters was actually a net negative from the beginning. And they are coming in with a brand, to your point. So I do think it was a catalyst for the debate for Trump to not be there. I do think he ultimately ended up hurting himself the most not being there. That's interesting. Oh, go, please. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I I don't feel he made as much news as maybe he should have. He gave more time to the other candidates to talk about whatever, all kinds of different things. Our dial group showed with these undecided folks, his favor bills didn't change at all, not one bit. The place where Trump won is on the question of who do you most fear winning the nomination? But that's- That's that's interesting. So these independents are afraid, they're literally afraid of him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We had someone in the open end said, hey, all of you guys get together and figure out which one of you is going to take on Stop Trump. That was their takeaway. So I don't think he was able to break. I don't know if that's the platform. I don't know if that's because just his whatever he said didn't make news, but it certainly by design, it just led to more oxygen for what was already a crowded field. Interesting. So I think he didn't do himself any favors. He did everybody else on the stage a, a favor by not being there. It did seem to me, I'll editorialize for a second, and then I want to get to your top takeaways. It did seem to me that him not being there meant that the rest of the field didn't have to play quite as much of a game of mother may I when they were talking about him, which has special resonance when it comes to Mike Pence. And they were perhaps a little bit more bold, although that didn't restrain most of them from saying, oh, yeah, we'd support this guy, even if he ends up in prison. All right. With that, I think we've set it up long enough. I'll just turn over to you guys. What stood out to you? What's the first moment you want to talk about that really jumped in your testing of the debate? I can go. I think I personally have three takeaways. One, this for independent undecided voters, this was the debate of the moderate candidates, specifically Nikki Haley. Across the board, she swept all of our pre-post testing among the candidates on stage. These folks liked what she was saying. They liked that she moderated positions, like that she attacked Donald Trump and went after Republicans on some of their downfalls during the Trump administration and over the last couple of cycles. Second, I will say that this audience, especially if folks were paying a lot of attention to the crowd last night, the differences between the base Republican audience and the general election voter hearing Republicans in their own terms is stark when we're talking about climate change policy, education policy, abortion policy, across the board, those who were playing into those base tropes and trying to feed that red meat to their audience were doing so much damage among them to themselves among this kind of undecided general election voter. And lastly, Vivek Vivek. I think I'm saying that correctly. When- yeah, I was today years old when I discovered that the correct pronunciation is apparently Vivek, and obviously we will honor that on this show. Absolutely. Vivek. Vivek went into the debate pretty undefined. A young guy with an opportunity to define himself among this audience 
And while his opening statement performed pretty well, he seemed to annoy this group pretty quickly and was never able to recover from specifically like his watershed moment early in the debate when it came to his approvals, calling climate change a hoax on its face. Once he said that, he was never really able to recover for the rest of the night. Yeah, that's interesting. I think one of the things that jumped out to me is that I think we've reached a wonderful place in America where voters are fine with voting for an Indian American candidate, clearly. They seem to have a problem voting for a dickish American candidate. And Vivek came off as just a dick all night. Like that, that Twitter was just lighting up with the idea of, wow, this guy is really unpleasant. And he also seems to have had about 15 lattes. Let's circle back to your first one. Let's talk about Nikki Haley. You find in your dial testing here that she really spiked positive talking about education, climate, some of these, what we've been talking about, like suburban swing area voters, these are things that really resonate, but they're really at odds with what the Republican base seems to want. Yeah, she had a couple of like comments that our di like dialers liked her individual comments and moments. And then in their kind of summary of how the whole night went, she was the clear. We had a series of Haley, 45% said Haley, who had the worst performance. She's all the way at the bottom. Who seems most likely to beat Joe Biden? Haley and DeSantis are basically tied. Who seems like they most care about people like you? She's at 42%. She dominates. But this big a field to have that high of a number is a sign of how strong. Now, this is 30, 33 people. So the percentages are a little different than if we had a thousand respondents. It's, but anyway, the point is she consolidated as much as you can in this kind of exercise. She really dominated here. Who would be most able to get things done? She tied with DeSantis, very few saying that they fear her getting the nomination. So she just had a clear, a clear win. She improved the most dramatically in terms of favorability. She improved her favorability. She decreased her unfavorability from before the session to the end of the session. So that was important. And I think people also responded to some of her like moments, like when she said to Vivek, you don't have you know, foreign policy experience and it shows that was really strong. Her appeals to gender and talking about her own gender, or her citation of Margaret Thatcher, women responded to that. Now, those were things that appealed. She also had a couple moments where she was trying to address a general election audience or criticize the rest of the field saying Republican have voted for this. We need to be honest with the American people about what we can get. There's a couple places where she was able to move, I don't want to say move to the left, but just a commanding presence that I think people responded to. Now, what that means in a Republican primary, that's a different that's a different dial session, and we'll see what happens to her down the road. But in terms of where she was able to differentiate herself in the field, it was clear. And today, people started off being positive toward him, where they were initially dialing strongly toward him. You could see the tide turn without hearing, because people aren't talking while they're dialing. You could see over the course of the session that when he would start to talk, they would start to dial down immediately. They were like, they began, who's this guy? And then they were like, oh no, no, not him again. Where They were dialing, like, dialing down as they were hearing more from him. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Let's talk about the dynamic with him because he really craters when he says the climate change agenda is a hoax. And we have to, as soon as the word hoax comes out of his mouth, it's like, off a cliff. Yep. That's interesting, right? Because that is the kind of thing that resonates not just with 
Republican primary voters, but with another key audience, which is reporters. You go to the New York Times, they have this post debate, the conversation, and they were like falling head over heels for Nikki Haley. They thought that she was great. They thought she was a breakout star in their words. There's a lot of post debate analysis that's saying he was the center of attention. They were piling on him. Let me ask you guys, your experts on debates, is it better to be trending than to be popular and liked he was getting a lot of attention people are learning his name we all learned his name this morning did he actually do himself some good even when he's cratering in moments like the climate change or saying that he wants to shut down the department of education i would say yes but with caveats obviously i think in an 11 person primary field as we mentioned at the top of the call was in on cory booker's 2020 President's primary campaign. And looking back now, I can admit that we like never got above 4%. And what that means with your positioning as a candidate, when you have similar to how we did in 2020, you have Joe Biden looming with kind of runaway polling numbers compared to the rest of the field who's trying to make a name for themselves. You have Donald Trump who's polling over 50% in most polls. I think a lot of this today is about name ID, right? But the issue is while you're defining yourself for your base, you're also defining yourself for the rest of the country. And the honest truth is that both sides of that coin want completely opposite things from you. I think Vivek was doing his best attempt at Donald Trump's first debate where he gets on, is bombastic, is throwing zingers out there, is insulting, and is funny and trolly. Do I think that works for a certain audience? Do I think it's going to play and give him a bump if it's only for name ID in the next set of polls? And he'll think it's worth it. Yes. Do I think it wins him the primary and helps Republicans overall with their brand? Absolutely not. Right. Mm -hmm. For him to be center stage and to be put up there as a leader of the party is exactly what we were getting at with this exercise. Right. Like one of the leaders in this field, the person who's actually second right behind Ron DeSantis of the people on the stage is showing that this is what the Republican Party is. And that ultimately the voters in that room wanted truth. And they believe that they were lied to in the first 10 minutes of the debate when Vivek is on the climate change is a hoax. They're already tuned out from whatever he has to say. Yeah. It depends on what, he, what is he trying to accomplish, right? Is he like trying to be like big brother? I'm not here to make friends. Like I'm just here to be memorable from this experience. And that's different. Is he trying to be president? Like he's not, I don't know if he helped himself with that performance. And I think it highlighted the unseriousness of this contest that, that, he was able to, to break out in the way that he had. In our question, who had the worst performance? A plurality, a 30% said he did of these undecided folks. Now, Republican primary voters, I don't know, They this may be the question that unites general election and Republican primary voters and feeling turned off by him, even if he got a lot of airtime. I don't know if that's, that if getting to know more from him is actually leading to more popularity. And that's not always a great place to be for a candidate. Let's talk about the moment that probably garnered the most attention, which is the question of whether you'd support Donald Trump if he were convicted of a felony. Everyone but Asa Hutchinson and Mike Pence raised their hands and said yes. What did your testing show about the way that was received by independent voters who um, you were just saying a moment ago fear Donald Trump? The, what we did in this exercise is we asked people to dial when somebody's talking and when the candidates are talking. So we don't have like when if everybody's raising their hand or not raising their hand, we're, we don't have people dial because then what are they dialing on? But you definitely saw people respond when candidates were trying to, to challenge Trump. 
respondents responded to that. So when you have one candidate say, what's important here is the rule of law, like people would respond to that, even if they didn't like the rest of what was in the message. Chris Christie did better in our dial group than I think the live audience, then within the live audience was not excited about him. He got booed immediately. They didn't like when he was challenging Trump. They didn't like when he broke in and was being snarky in the live audience. But our dial group actually, I think, responded a little bit better to him. He did a, he did better than other folks in the field in terms of who seems likely to most likely to beat Joe Biden. He did a little bit better in terms of favorability than some of the other candidates in terms of improving his favorability. Again, this is with a general election audience, but but he's got work to do, obviously, in a primary. And, it's, and that was clear from listening to the audience. And in general, you're finding that throughout the night, when people go after Donald Trump, this group of independent voters responded positively to that. Yeah. And even if it's not just going after, but acknowledging that the rule of law is important and that. So we did a, a pre-post test. And, and one of our questions before going to dials was, do you think Donald Trump has committed a crime? And I think we had upwards of 60% of respondents or dial testers tonight say that they do think Donald Trump has committed a crime. And they're seeing that as ground truth and people who responded to ground truth, whether it's, we did see some kind of appetite for a sober approach to pardoning Donald Trump, but saying on its face that do you believe the whole trial and all the indictments are a farce or that he doesn't deserve to be accountable at all was definitely a losing argument. We really only saw, again, DeSantis go there, and they were definitely hit for that among this audience again. But when you had folks saying that they would hold them accountable, whether that was Mike Pence or Nikki Haley, we did see them get credit for that. But I'll call out specifically Mike Pence to inject some nuance here. Mike Pence did say that the president betrayed the Constitution and that he needs to be held accountable and tried to get me to betray the Constitution, but I stood up for it. But he also mentioned a pardon and kind of forgiveness and kind of giving into that notion that this might not be all the way right a little bit and couching it helped him get that message across among this independent audience. So while full-throated defense of Donald Trump and can't do no wrong wasn't there, the more nuanced argument did work for some of these folks and did land. When Tim Scott said something like, we should be have our leaders be someone we can admire, a moral standard, something like that, people responded well. But then when he started to attack the, the Justice Department and our and say that as a political judicial system, then people down-dialed. They, it, our undecided folks were really thinking about something quite different than the folks in the room when it comes to Trump. Let's talk about Ron DeSantis. Comes in, campaign floundering, let's be clear. And again, I've been arguing, I feel like I'm a little bit on an island on this, but I've been arguing consistently on this show and in my opinion columns that this media blather, that indictments are somehow good for Trump is just that, it's nonsense, that there's an almost perfect inverse correlation. Not sure that this is gonna show up on the screen, right? As I do my arms to <laughs> imitate like a sideways Christmas tree, but there's this perfect inverse correlation as Ron DeSantis has gone down, Donald Trump has gone up. What you find is about 40% of Ron DeSantis voters said, Donald Trump's my second choice, right? And lo and behold, his the proportion of vote that he's lost in the field has about 40% of that has gone to Donald Trump. And that's why Donald Trump has gone up. Ron DeSantis had an interesting night. He was quiet. He was He didn't stand out very much. He did have one moment that your independent voters did not like, 
And that showed the potency, the continuing potency of the abortion issue. And yet he did seem to come out okay, your voters evaluation at the end in terms of who who did pretty well. What was your impression of Ron DeSantis based on your testing? I would say- Oh yeah, go ahead, Ian, you go first. Yeah, I would say the best word to describe Ron DeSantis for this set of voters was polarizing. I think the moment where he had his his lowest moment of the night was around abortion, specifically doubling down on a six-week ban. Unilaterally voters panned that at first, but then when he starts to go into a personal story about the kids, and et cetera, I think men respond while women were still dialing negatively for that whole portion of the speech. And one of the only candidates where we saw that polarization between our women and our men respondents here. So that's something we're looking more into. But overall, it was middling, right? DeSantis never got those kind of high highs of Nikki or Tim Scott or the low lows of Vivek. He was splitting the group in key ways. And I think that's the calling card of Ron DeSantis, right? Kind of this polarizing figure, even among this audience. So yeah, I, I found that to be interesting. His highest point in the debate was just attacking spending and inflation, lowest point again being the abortion conversation. But he really seemed to come in among the folks that he was undefined with, split them, which showed some improvement, really. That's why I think you see a move that may look more positive than I think it is, but really probably did no damage to the folks who were, he was palatable to and kept the folks who didn't like him to begin with away. So I would say if I, if I could fi- define his performance with one word, I would say it would be polarizing. I would say there's something about the sanctions that the expectations about him that were, and he also entered the debate better known than most of the rest of the field. I think that's part of what people are responding to. And when they say he's got the best chance, he did okay. I think they're responding to the fact that they like had some awareness of him more than maybe the rest of the field beforehand. And he, he, their expectations were so low. He's been in so much trouble that the fact that he just didn't do Worse than those expectations was seen as okay, but obviously he did not telegraph front runner last night. And I think that's, I think that's true. And the fact that he didn't win, the fact that he didn't command the stage, the fact that he didn't improve his favorable substantially or any of those things are a sign that he didn't move that he didn't create, he didn't further fall further back because he came in with some notoriety, but he did not move the ball forward in a real substantial way. And his comments on things like abortion, all the candidates entered their abortion comment. None of them were able to really consistently have an answer that hit it out of the park on abortion with these undecided voters. And remember, we are in Wisconsin. This is, we worked with Governor Tony Evers in 22. We were very excited to do that. We worked on behalf of Janet Protosea with the Supreme Court justice race that happened here this year in the odd year. This is a state that has clearly decided we support abortion rights. We do not support the 1849 ban that was on the books here in Wisconsin that went into effect. People felt it. They would tell us in focus groups about how they felt about their experiences with that ban all last year. So this is a state that is very clear how they feel about abortion rights. And every candidate last night, DeSantis is one of them, but it was true for all of them. They would start by saying something about abortion rights, like I'm to qualify how extreme their position was and women in particular, but all independents, you know, really they dialed down. Maybe somebody would say something that would be appealing. I'm not going to give the death penalty to women who have had an abortion, which was Nikki Haley's like strong line that it should be a low bar, but people responded well to it. And so DeSantis doesn't have 
have a line like that because he's built his whole persona around these very strong, divisive positions. And when he tried to articulate them, people didn't respond to them because they're not popular with general election audiences and he can't run away from them. That's what his whole campaign's been about. I love how brilliantly subtly cutting that was. It's like, Ron DeSantis managed to crawl over the lowest bar in history. Good job. That was literally what his spin team was saying afterwards. It's, he didn't spend the whole evening fat shaming a nine-year-old, laughing like a Martian, or getting wailed on by Mickey Mouse. So good job. You did great, Ron. One thing, Margie, that you just brought up that I think is really interesting, you brought up the Wisconsin factor, Jenna Prezeowitz, that stunning and Congratulations to you. Well done winning that race. We're fresh off the issue one referendum in Ohio, where again, Ohio voters, we're, we've conditioned ourselves in the last 10 years to think of Ohio as a lean red or a flat out, out red state. And yet Ohio voters pretty clearly saying 57%, it's a pretty solid 14 point margin there. Nope, we want to protect abortion rights. It just I don't want to make it harder to have an abortion rights amendment passed. So, because there's actually oh, okay. a vote in November. Sorry, I know that's like very. No, that's an important distinction. So, if you're an Ohio voter watching this, you need to go out and vote again in November. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. It's not over. It's not yeah. over. Yes, very true. But it did seem to me, I'm not the expert. You're the experts. You're watching you're, and doing this dial testing. It seemed to me that. Over and over, abortion being probably the biggest example, climate being another example, some of the transgender language, the education language, over and over, it just looked like there were issues where Republicans have put themselves in a box. They have positions that their base seems to demand, and particularly what, what it looked like to me was particularly their male base. They seem to react one way, whereas independent voters and particularly female independent voters react very differently and very violently differently. It, did that jump out to you? Yeah, men respond to abortion rights also in around the country. That's a new post-ops thing where we have heard men say, and this is something we heard in Wisconsin and we've heard around the country, men say, I think I might need a move because my wife and I are planning to have a planned pregnancy and she's high risk and I can't live in a state where she can't get the treatment that she needs. Men are speaking very openly about abortion rights. And so of course, women are going to have their sort of ears more open to some of these comments. You had a lot of women responding to Vivek talking about single women without a man at home getting a check. That was pretty, that was a oh, fun. Oh yeah, I saw that crater you know? there. Nice. <laughs> but, but it wasn't just, but it's not just women. And so with some of these issues, men, and maybe Ian, you want to talk, the other big thing was teachers unions. That was the real one where like the Republican candidates were rushing in to say how they felt about teachers unions, also a big issue in Wisconsin. And and you had an independent voters say they weren't cool with it at all. Yeah, two things. I think one, based on like navigator polling, national polling generally, I want to call out the Republicans for having an anti-abortion coalition, but I don't think their base is anti-abortion either. Abortion is nationally an issue that the electorate is very sensitive about. And across the board, we're seeing that folks want abortion access protected. Where they draw that line on is on a kind of gradient scale here. But I think Republicans on stage also were dealing with that dynamic. They were trying to shy away from the conversation in a lot of ways, using coded language that's popular, right? States' rights, right? That's kind of the, without putting their hat in the ring or pinning themselves to like exact policy, 
they just try to couch the conversation saying that they believe the state should do it. And when certain candidates on stage were trying to play to the base, calling for on, on stage national bans or national restrictions to abortion, saying that they can't leave it up to states like Illinois or New York, the Dow's just tanked for them. And I'm sure among Repu certain groups of Republican base voters, there was also a tank in sentiment there. So it's just a losing issue. And to your point, you're for Republicans. And to your point, they have put themselves in a box with everybody but this anti-abortion coalition that is still only a portion of the Republican base. But similar to that, there's this, and we can talk about both. I'm switching topics to education a little bit. There's also this box that they're putting themselves in with this kind of drumbeat of abolishing the Department of Education and breaking up the teachers' unions. It was this odd line that they thought was winning. Across the board, it was panned. Nobody liked it, no matter what candidate they came in supporting. Folks would immediately almost try to break their dials to the left when they heard these candidates put out extreme policies like that. It was really interesting to me to read some of the responses that you guys got to open-ended questions where you just tell participants, say anything, like what was your reaction? And every, every method of trying to get at what voters are thinking has its flaws, right? We've all spent a lot of time, people who are like high information voters who obsess about this kind of stuff, talking about there are some drawbacks to polling and there are some drawbacks to doing a focus group. People feel like they're on stage, they're a little performative, and there can be drawbacks, I'm sure, to dial testing. And so you look at a bunch of them to get a full picture. The open-ended responses are really interesting. I just wanna read a couple of them here. Band together, Ian, you said this one at the top. This one person's reaction was band together and select among yourselves one person to not allow President Trump to run again. That's a great headline for what the Republican Party needs to do. Medical indications for mom and baby need to be considered in all abortion laws. This is not a one-size-fits-all situation. Boom, Margie, exactly to your point. And then we get to two of my favorites. If this is the best that the Republican Party has, they will not win. I would only consider voting for two to three of them. And finally, the best one, the winner of the evening, what is wrong with all of you? What, what, anything else there that you heard in the open-ended responses that, that stood out to you? People often say in lots of the open-ended responses were like, I want to hear more about your plan. And also a lot of, gosh, so much talking over each other, so much fighting. And we hear that a lot. That's pretty common. And I think one of the advantages of this methodology is people are dialing. They're not watching the debate through any other lens other than their own. It was the same when we did the State of the Union where people would like really improve in their views and their ratings on Biden because they would watch the entire State of the Union, not on Fox News or not on Twitter, but just themselves, just their own viewpoint. And the same thing with the debate where they would watch, they get to the end of the debate, they're like, gosh, so much fighting and not a lot of plans. And that's, it's hard to get, a, admittedly, hard to get a plan out when you're on the debate stage with all these people, like that, it even no matter who you are, right? So I can appreciate that respondents were left wanting more substance, but the fact that people said so much fighting, you're talking over each other, be respectful, really came through a lot pretty loud and clear. That means that it means that they didn't really like the tenor of the debate. And the abortion comment was interesting because we didn't have a lot of policy statements in this open end. It wasn't a policy kind of question. It was really the only policy thing that somebody said was about abortion, which I think mm -hmm. really captures what we're talking about here, which is this primary field is very much at odds with where the general election audience is. Based on last night, but also because you were looking at 
independence last night, not necessarily as much the dynamics within the Republican. So taking off your dial testing hat, just putting on your general expertise hat, Donald Trump is up by 38 points based on polling averages right now in this. He's running away with things, although he might literally be running away because as we record this, he's on his way to Fulton County to turn himself in and get a mugshot. Delightful. Who should Donald Trump be most afraid of? Is there anyone in the field right now, based on what you've seen, who has a chance of coalescing opposition to Trump and beating him in a primary? I think Donald Trump should be the most afraid of the Fulton County DA. I think nobody gets, <laughs> close. nobody gets closer tonight or last night. Everything's blending together. Nobody gets closer to beating Donald Trump after that debate. I think what you'll move is name recognition for Vivek, Ron DeSantis, and a couple others. Some of the moderate or the folks who are trying to moderate themselves probably drop a little bit and give some of their support to Nikki Haley. But overall, do I think anything has shifted in this race? Have the dynamics changed? No, I think he's, as far as the Republican primary goes, literally running against the Fulton County DA. I, it's, this is like a pollster of saying this, which is don't worry about the polls this far out. It's, I think it's easy. And I think in 16, people were like, there's no way Trump could win the primary and just watch this train approach. And now people are like, okay, he's going to win the primary. They're going back. I'm not just in terms of where the, like the conventional wisdom is. He's going to win the primary. I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm saying right now he's going to win the primary. And I, I look at this and say, we are so far out. Anything can happen. Big field. Lots of different ways that things can change, whether it's Trump and what, and obviously he's his own worst enemy, as Ian said, or what happens in the field or where voters are and so on, that things can change. There's no, Santos looked like an incredibly strong candidate not that long ago. He's not today. So things can change pretty quickly. And and so I, I always think that there's, there's all kinds of different possibilities. There's no done deal in this Republican primary at all, even that said, the polling so far has been very consistent about where the primary electorate is. If someone does manage to beat Donald Trump in the primary, or maybe if Fannie Willis does that and beats him for us, who should Democrats be most concerned about based on last night? I would say Joe Biden's a winner from this debate that the Republican primary field looked at odds with where the general election audience is, unable to agree on themselves, willing to let themselves drift far to the right on all kinds of military intervention and social issues and so on in a way that's alarming, that should be alarming. And I, I think, and using very kind of dark and harsh language about America and our future in a way that is going to be problematic when it's really hashed out in a general election context. And at the same time, I don't think, I think this is going to be a tough evenly divided race, no matter who, who the nominee is. And that's just the nature of our partisanship right now. Anyone who, Ian, who would be giving, let's say it's not Trump, who would be giving the Biden team additional night sweats? I don't think anyone who has a chance of winning the primary, honestly. I think you're talking to, from the Dows last night, a more moderate audience. But if we had simultaneous Dows with kind of that, the Republican primary deciding audience, folks who did perform well last night with our groups in moments wouldn't be there like the Nikki Haley's and Tim Scott's of the world. But I do think that even among those who tried to moderate most and literally try to create a tailor-made message for these swing independent general election deciding voters, when it came to issues of abortion, issues of climate change and energy production, teachers unions, they still have significant gaps 
between what they believe and what the rest of the electorate believes. But I don't think that being the Republican disruptor or the grown-up in the room is the winning strategy for the Republican primary right now. Is it going to be a contested election? Should we be ready for any Republican candidate that comes out of this primary? Yes. And I think that's where I stand. But do I see any ground shifting for some sort of insurgent candidate? I really don't think so. I think that puts a bow on the first Republican presidential debate. We will wrap up here. Don't forget to check out the video clips, which we'll be putting up on YouTube on the Blue Amp channel. Ian, Margie, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having us.